Well, good morning. So before we even started this service, uh, Justin wanted to sleep in this weekend, right? Because it's daylight. So he threw me up here. No, um, Justin's over speaking at Monroe this morning. And I remember this week, Brian was like, it's just me and you. We can do whatever you want. I thought he was joking. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, Justin's gone this week. And so uh, I'll be speaking over the next couple of weeks, and we're actually going to be diving into the first few chapters in Genesis. Uh, first of all, my name is Joe. I'm the next-gen pastor here. So if you are newer, uh, our lead pastor is not here, so don't judge our church on me and everything you're going to experience today, because you might not like it, but make sure you come back and hear him. Um, but we are going to be just diving into Genesis. We are going to do something a little bit Different. It's not going to be a, a, so much of a mushy talk. Uh, we're actually just going to walk through Genesis 1 and 2 today uh, and just kind of break it down a little bit. We did this with our middle school and our high school group and our college group, and, and really I thought it was super beneficial uh, for us just to break down some verses. Because when we begin to do that, you, you start to see things a little bit differently. You get to see the Bible in a little bit new perspective Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, most of you in this room probably have read that verse if you've done any type of Bible reading plan, right? It was probably the, fir probably the first verse that you read on January 1st, starting off the year. I would make the argument that most of you would even quote that verse probably even a, in a better context than you would John 3.16. That's like the most other popular verse in the Bible. When we read Genesis 1.1, uh, basically every single translation has that word for word. There's some that are a little bit different, uh, but most translations, and when I was kind of looking at, have that word for word. What does Genesis 1.1 tell us? What I want you to do is strip away everything that you think you know. Everything you think you know about God, the world, everything, and just kind of think about what it tells us. Well, it tells us there is a God. It tells not only that there is a God, but our God is a, a creator. And not only that, but if you kind of even look around the world, you, our God is a creator with some type of design and intellect. It tells us where earth came from. Why, why we're here right now. It tells us about the sky and how that was formed, like the heavens, and, and not only that, but the angelic realm. It tells us about time. Time had a beginning when we actually break down this verse. It tells us that our God is outside of time. Genesis 1.1 addresses one of the most crucial questions that humanity has asked. Is there a God? How did we get here? And in a single verse, it answers that. Now, I did this way back in middle school, and this is how impacting it was. I, I stayed after group for like a deeper Bible study, and there was like 20, 30 kids that stayed back. And I remembered them challenging us, what, like the first two verses of Genesis, like what can we learn from the first two verses of Genesis? And as a good middle schooler, I sat there quiet. And we sat there quiet until we started saying, well, there's a God. 
And we started brainstorming. And then I realized how much we can learn from a verse if we just sit in it long enough and we ask those questions, if we discover those things. If we begin to really look at it instead of going, Genesis 1 wants a verse that everyone knows. Rather, we just sit in it. So as we dive into Genesis 1 and 2 today, um, what I really want to do is kind of break down some, let's say, notions that maybe we came into this room with those two chapters, which is the creation story. Because, listen, every time we, we read the Bible, every time we approach Scripture, we do this thing. We read it through our perspective. We read it in our life circumstances. We read it, whether we have kids or not, changes the way that we read it, right? What our income is, it changes the way that we read it. What education level we have, it changes the way we read it. Where we live, it changes the way we see it and we read it. It's almost like having these glasses on that we all do, and especially everybody in this room, we read it as an American in 2022. And so it's like having these glasses on that ultimately we have to recognize that we're looking through a lens and we're reading it with our perspective when really we need to take off those lens and say, what was the true meaning of that? You see, a lot of times the, the easiest thing with Genesis 1 and 2 is um, a lot of people will wear different lenses and one of the biggest ones is, for example, if people believe in or come in and believe the theory of evolution, they read Genesis 1 right off the bat, the way they picture Genesis 1 unfolding is going to be different. They're going to see millions or billions of years unfolding in their head compared to someone who reads it as a six-day creation. And what ends up happening when we read it in that context is that we miss the point of what the author was trying to say. We miss the point of, of what the, the, the Israelites were supposed to hear. And so really, we have to just recognize uh, of the lens that we're reading through. I, I love an author, his name is Francis Chan. He always talks about, if you were on a desert island, you didn't know anything, and all you had was the Bible, what conclusions would you make about God? How would you think of him? And that's almost what we have to do every time we approach the Bible. We have to kind of strip away those lenses that we wear so often. And so we're going to start in Genesis 1. I'm going to be reading a lot. If you're younger in here, I'm sorry. I'm going to try and make it not boring, all right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Most of you could quote that off the top of your head. As we know, maybe you've read it a million times before, you've heard it a million times. Genesis 1, but what is going on? Remember, when you ask the questions... We can begin to, to see what God was doing. So, for example, light. Day one, God created light. What was going on here? Light. Now, if you know, we're going to fast forward just a little sneak peek. Day four, the sun is created, right? 
But what is going on when he created light? Because it's much more than a physical fixture hanging down of light that, that reveals everything that we can see right now. The light that is mentioned is often, light, uh, light mentioned often in the Bible means truth, right and wrong, boundaries. It is the formation of the laws, it is the formation of good and evil and the right and wrong. We see something happening within day one. There is structure being formed, the evening, the day, the night. We've seen God declaring all that and putting order into the universe. And so with light, he's making these boundaries. He's creating all the truth. We even see light mentioned. This gives us a, a little bit deeper of a picture in Revelation 22, 5. It says, there will, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. It's this cool picture as we think of day one, what is actually being created? What is actually going on? Day two. And God said, let there be an expansion between the water to separate water from water. So God made the expansion and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky and there was evening and there was morning the second Day. So what is God creating within this? Well, he's creating the sky, right? I don't want to write atmosphere, but he's creating the atmosphere, everything that we kind of dive into. Day two is so interesting, and this is what I want you to do. If you're taking notes or have your Bible, go back and study day two because it's super interesting. Because day two, the atmosphere, there's a lot of different theories. What kind of water was above them? Was it a gas form? Was it a physical water? There's, there's people that believe in the snow globe effect. You can look that up and go down that rabbit trail, right? Like literally there was a, a coating of water and then air and then water. Like what, what did it look like? There's a lot of great questions. I don't have the answers to all of them. But if you start looking into day two, you can begin to see like, oh, that makes sense with the worldwide flood where all that water came from. Or if you look at day two, you go, okay, the atmosphere that we have right now was probably not the same as it was before the flood. Maybe that's why people could live longer. Maybe like something about the moisture in the air, and there's, there's tons of things that you can dig into day two. Uh, and then you can also look at why does day two not say good? There's a lot of things in there. You can begin to ask those questions. Day three. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in them according to their various kind. And it was so. The land, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to its kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. God creates the land, and he creates plants. Creates 
all the plants that we see and experience and eat strawberries, you know, mangoes, pineapples, the big trees, the oak trees, the redwoods. Like, he creates all that and then allows that to exist along with physical land, dirt. Day number four. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and then there was morning, the fourth day. God creates the sun, right? The moon, the stars. Now, the author, who is perceived to be Moses at this point, and he's perceived to be writing this as he's in the 40 years in the desert, and that's perceived that, you know, he wrote the first five books, and there's a lot of evidence for that. Uh, it's still debated, but most people will believe that Moses wrote the books. He would be upset that I wrote these words. He would be super upset that I wrote sun, moon, and stars, because, you know, his terminology was the greater light and the lesser light. Because in the culture back then, the sun, the moon were worshipped. And so Moses is actually making a point here, saying the lesser and greater, not using the terms that maybe they would be used to because they were seen as literal gods in the sky providing for them. So Moses takes those words, flushes them out, and says, no, the focus goes all on God. And we go to day five. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the water in the, fill the water in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and then there was morning the fifth day. God creates all the fish, right? Fish, whales, whatever, sea cucumber, I don't know. Um, just all the, and all the birds, all the wings, winged animals. Whether, do you think ostriches were in that? I don't know. Uh, if you know day six, that's a good debate. And then we get to day six. And God said, let the land produce living creatures, According to their kinds, livestock, creatures that moved along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that moved along the ground according to its kind, and God saw it was good, right? God created the animals, and more than that, though, right? He created all the creatures, spiders too, yuck. Um, and then God creates his masterpiece. Then God said in verse 26, let us make man in our own image 
in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in numbers, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature it moves along the grounds. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and then there was morning, the sixth, great, the sixth day. He created his masterpiece, man, right, and female. He created, ultimately, this pinnacle point. And then we go into chapter 2 a little bit. And we see that God rested. It says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all the work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. And it's this almost build up to the seventh day. We see some interesting things about God within this passage. And, and the first thing that we kind of notice is our God is a God of order. And we see that through every single day. We see a God of not chaos. He's not crazy. We don't see a God that uh, lit a match and everything just kind of started, right? We see someone thoughtful, putting it all together. Even when we look at this, we see God creating and then God filling. God creating and God filling. God creating and God filling. He's a very God of order. There's so much in here that kind of teaches us about who God is. And then ultimately, we get to day number seven. He rests. And we know how important that is because he gives us a, 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 a ten commandments. You shall observe the Sabbath day. Six days you work, but one day you need to rest. Right? As we kind of dive into Genesis, we see something take place. Because a lot of times we tend to read this passage like an American. We read up. It's building up to something, right? Where ancient writers would have different purposes. They would have different liter literature styles or writing styles and all that stuff and different points that a, a Jewish reader would have heard where we might not because we just don't know sometimes. Because it's very interesting. It, let me show you some stuff. Um, within Genesis, in Genesis 1.1, if you are reading this in Hebrew, there is seven Hebrew words. In Genesis 1-2, there is 14 
Hebrew words. Two times seven. God, which is Elohim in Hebrew, hold on to that thought. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Elohim in Hebrew is written 35 times. It's uh, five times seven. Right? Earth is said 21 times. Three times seven. Heaven, 21 times. Three times seven. And it was so, written seven times. And God saw that it was good, was written seven times. Probably something maybe you wouldn't notice as an American, right? Like we, we wouldn't read into that. But in Jewish culture, numbers weighed something. I say the number seven, you might think of a sports player, right? You might think of something. But a whole nation, when you said the number seven, meant perfection. Moses is writing this, showing the people the creation and how it was perfect. And not only that, he, he drives perfection throughout the whole story. That's why we see a lot of repeating words. That's kind of here the, the pattern within that. It's perfection. And it's going throughout the whole theme ultimately, to lead up to day seven. Day seven, remember, that's the key word, rested. So when you hear all those sevens leading up to ultimately day seven, you would kind of draw the conclusion like, okay, one of the biggest concepts is not a six-day creation. One of the biggest concepts in Genesis is rest. That's giving everyone permission to go home and take a nap today, right? No, we're talking about the rest that God commands, that we rest in him. We rest knowing that he has control. We rest in his presence. We rest in his confidence. And sometimes that does look like taking a nap. And how important is it? Because God, does God need rest? God's all power, powerful. Does he need rest? No but he rests because he knows how important it is for us to rest. And you almost see this kind of pinnacle leading up to it. And as a Jewish reader, you would have seen this. You would have seen the perfection within the writing. You would have seen the leading up to rest. And I don't think you would have had debates whether it was a 24-hour day. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a lot of things within that 24-hour day where there's a lot of evidence for it. But if that's all we walk away with, we're missing the point. And so rest, they would have walked away thinking that. And then there's something else very interesting that people would have walked away with. Between verse 27 or verse 26 and 27. If you have a Bible, you can look at it. There's something in there as the translators are writing this Bible, they add a space in there with an indent. Now, you see a lot of spaces, you see a lot indent, but the, the translations are noted, like telling you something's changing. You see, as a Jewish person, when you read 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, you would have automatically known, oh, it's a poem. Because the wording, just like as if you were to read a poem today, you would know it's a poem automatically. 
You could tell a story and then a poem and then a story. And ancient liter- like literature would put poems into her, then there to stress main points, to stress the things they want their, their readers to know. And so we're actually going to see, if you actually re-go through in Genesis, you'll see all these poems, and they're usually, you know, sometimes they're boring. You're just like, I'm going to skip over that. But really, they're making a point. They're saying, hey, hey, screaming at you, saying, this is, this is what I want you to know, and they tell it in a poem form. And so within that, Genesis 1, we see the importance of rest, and we see the importance of God creating man and women, women female, in his own image. Just stop right there and think about this. Genesis 1 answers two of life's biggest questions. I ask you, like, how, how did I get here? And who am I? The question everybody in this room has asked themselves, who am I? They write this so people would know the confidence, and they put it as a poem, say, you are the image of God. You are not just someone. You are the image of the creator of the universe, the buildup of everything that you're taking. You are made in his image, and you are special. So as a Jewish reader, that's what you would have walked away with. That's what you would have thought. Now, I am going to say this. I like to say fun stuff sometimes. Uh, I do believe in a six-day creation. Some of you cringed. Some of you just gave me a fist pump in your head. Um, I do believe in that, and I don't take that lightly. I've I've studied years. I've watched and heard and read so many books, uh, and I still study it because it's so important to me. And and, and what I would encourage you to do is, even as I was going through this uh, passage, is, Study it yourself. Look into it. I think it would be even lazy and dangerous for you to just be a six-day creationist or even a, a believe in the theory of evolution um, just because someone else does. And I always study both sides because it's that important. But my encouragement to you is go and do your research. I'd love to have a conversation with you uh, if you ever want to talk about that sometimes. Now we're going to in chapter two because creation doesn't stop there. Chapter 2 is another account of creation. Verse number 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared to the earth, and no plant on the field, uh, of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. And there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good good for food. In the middle of the garden there was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A water... Or we're going to skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. We'll kind of dig into that next week a little bit. 
Then God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, helper suitable for him. Pause right there. When we read Genesis 2, a lot of people, our, our first knee-jerk reaction is to kind of be like, whoa, it's out of order. Like, we, we just read Genesis 1. We know the days, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then all of a sudden, the, the thing comes up, and it's, you know, before anything was there, God creates man. You know, the, the seeds and everything, nothing's grown up, and, and man's formed from the dust. And then ultimately, we we're going to read that, that God created the animals, and he brings them all, uh, all to Adam. And, and so just kind of getting ahead of myself, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the fields and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and wherever the man called them, uh, called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the fields. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from his rib. He had taken out a man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I love these verses um, because it is such a typical verse. How many of you had that verse read at your wedding, right? A lot of you. I'm pretty sure I did. Because when we read that verse, first thing we notice is that whole passage is out of order. And you got to ask the question, why? Well, it's because we're reading it like an American in 2022. You see, they were trying to make the point that Man becomes the central figure within the creation account in Genesis 2. And so the, the way that it is written is that man is the focal point. And ultimately, how man gets his suitable partner, ultimately Eve. Chapter 2 is very interesting because you hear it at a lot of weddings. And the cool part is they are using it right. Chapter 2 is all about marriage. Chapter 2 is about the suitable helper being formed. And so just, just think about this for a second, how important it is to God. How, how important marriage is to God and for us not to be alone. That he, he literally did all these things and, and, and he's painting the picture that it's not good for us to be alone. And so as you read chapter 2, it's definitely a different perspective about marriage. It's about God and, and the way that he formed it. And it's out of order on purpose. There's a couple things. When we read chapter two, uh, I, I'm, I'm wrapping up here pretty soon, so hopefully you guys aren't falling asleep on me, because it probably feels like a, a class to you a little bit. But as we read through Genesis 1 and 2, they actually tightly knit together. The first thing I want to point out is this. In chapter 1, God is called Elohim. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 2, verse 4, it changes to Lord God. And there's a name change. And now all of a sudden, it becomes Yahweh Elohim. 
And then if you read throughout the Old Testament, you see the three names of God, Elohim, Yahweh, Elohim, and Yahweh. A lot of people say it's a hint towards what the Trinity was like in the, in the perspective of who the writer was trying to talk about. And so it's actually really interesting when you kind of go down that rabbit hole. But not only that is whenever you look at anyone in the Bible, one of the quickest ways to kind of get a full picture or discover anything about a character within the Bible, the first thing that you do is you look at their verbs, their actions. What are they doing? Because it describes who they are. Genesis 1, if you actually looked at God's verbs, you're going to see this on the screen. You're going to see said, saw, created, called, made, blessed, gave. Like, think of Genesis 1. When you're picturing it in your head, and as you're reading it, you're reading of this massive God that is saying and speaking the sun into existence. You're, you're thinking of someone outside of time watching the universe that we can't even grasp, being created in form. He's got the whole world in hand, right? Like, we know that song, and that's Genesis 1. That's what we are picturing. And then we see Genesis 2, the verbs, and how they describe God. Genesis 2, made, formed, took, brought, breathed, planted, put. When we read the creation story in Genesis 2, our description and our view of God, like you're not picturing God up in the universe doing all this. You're picturing God right there in the midst of it. Forming Adam with his hand, like, oh, you know, out of the dust and dirt. Planting a garden. Taking Adam and placing him. Like, that's what we see in God. You get this massive picture in Genesis 1, yet you get this other picture in Genesis 2 of an intimate God right there in Adam. A little sneak peek we see in Genesis 3, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, right there with his creation. Kind of gives us this big picture. So when we look at Genesis 1, when we look at Genesis 2, and really why we're doing this is ultimately this. Maybe you got a, a little bit of a taste or maybe... You're like, oh, I should dig into to some of this a little bit more. Great, that's what I want for you. Ultimately, I, I just encourage you, study your Bible. Study the Bible. I tell my middle school, high school, and college group this. Ask questions, because that's how we learn. When we sit down on a verse like Genesis 1-1, and we begin to pry it open, we begin to like, peel it apart, and we sit on it, instead of doing a little check mark because of our daily devotion, the devotion um, we can begin to sit on it and begin to ask questions because when we begin to ask questions, we can uh, begin to open our eyes, take off those lenses a little bit more. But I don't stop there with my students. I don't say, ask questions, great. I say, a question is great, start, but if you ask a question, you don't seek out the answer, it's kind of pointless, right? You need to ask questions, and then ultimately, you need to seek out the answers. 
With today's technology, we can do that. You can read your Bible. You can get in there and highlight and mark. I know a lot of you have answered right, right questions in your Bible, but my encouragement to you is do we seek out the answers? Because God promises us, you know, as we seek him, he's going to reveal himself more and more and more. Like I said, some of you maybe had a, a great appetite. And for you, dig into your Bible. Hopefully you can begin to see that maybe you wear lenses, maybe you read things into the Bible like I do. Um, maybe you, you begin to like, okay, when I get home or this week starting on Monday morning when I read the Bible, I'm going to have a new perspective uh, about it. And that's my encouragement to you is that we begin to do that type of stuff more and more and more. And then also, specifically on Genesis 1 and 2, sometimes it just gets so black and white, right? We read Genesis 1 or 2 sometimes for the, to, to know the six-day creation because we, we want to prove it right. And what ends up happening is we skip over the whole picture of what God's trying to tell us, and that is about him. Because the Bible is about God. It's God revealing himself to us. We should never lose sight of that. We should sit and, and, and wrestle with God and ultimately discover who he is in the midst of it and be in awe of God. And so my encouragement, study your Bible. Like next week we're going to do Genesis 3, maybe a little bit of Genesis 4 if we, if we have time. Um, but I, I would encourage you, go, go and reread that, write in your Bible, get into it. You don't even have to be in Genesis, just start, start looking at it maybe with a new lens and a fresh eyes. Let me pray and then we'll get out of here. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your chance just to, to come here, Lord. I just pray that as we walk out of here, that we would just feel the hunger for your word, that we would begin to see your word in a new light and that we would just fall in love with it. And so, Lord, um, I just pray that you would just be with us on this day of rest, be with us as we exit this building and let us be able to sit in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. We'll see you next week.